We are all connected in the great circle of life. Walt Disney Pictures presents its all-new 30-second full-length animated motion picture, The Lion King. The Lion King, 1994. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Luggedal Podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. Today we are discussing The Lion King, 1994. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRoushMedia.com. Photo, video, EliasRoushMedia.com. This movie was produced on a $45 million budget, released on June 24th, 1994, and went on to uh, gross almost $1 billion at the box office. It was a total of $968 million, which is a sheet ton. Um, it's only 88 minutes, not even an hour and a half. The uh, Lion King tells the story of Simba, a young lion who is to succeed his father, Mufasa, as king of the Pride Lands. However, after Simba's paternal uncle, Scar, plots to overthrow the kingdom so that he can become king, Simba is manipulated into thinking he was responsible and flees into exile. Um, I'll give you a little bit of what the Wikipedia says about it. The Lion King in 94 was actually produced during what is known as the Disney Renaissance period. And the Disney Renaissance uh, happened from 1989 to 90, uh, 1999. And uh, the movies that are included in there are uh, The Little Mermaid in 89, The Rescuers Down Under, 90, Beauty and the Beast, 91, Aladdin, 92, The Lion King, 94, Pocahontas, 95, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, 96, Hercules, 97, Mulan, 98, and Tarzan, 99. And, uh, sorry, uh, in a combination with all of that, uh, you can see why it's considered one of, uh, Disney's strongest periods. Um, according to the Wikipedia, this, um, the story takes place in the kingdom of lions in Africa. It was influenced by the lives of Joseph and Moses from the Christian Bible and William Shakespeare's Hamlet. So this was directed by Roger Allers and Rob Minkoff. Both of these guys had hardly any credits behind them. Um, I believe it was Roger Allers, I think I'm saying his name right. He, um, he was on the Aladdin storyboard uh, story and uh, the other fellow Rob Minkoff uh, was is fair was fairly new when they were doing this producing the Lion King um, what really surprises me about the behind the scenes aspects of this uh, adventure animation family musical um, is that this team hasn't come up to do anything to this degree again. Um, the screenplay was by Irene Mancini, Mach Machete, 
Machete. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Um, writer on The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Brave, Hercules, um, stuff like that. Miscellaneous stuff. Jonathan Roberts was working on the screenplay for The Lion King. He was also a writer on uh, Monsters, Inc., 2001, and James and the Giant Peach, 96, and also Hunchback. Um, Linda Wolverton did a, was working on the screenplay as, right, as well. Um, she was responsible for being on Beauty and the Beast, both the 91 and the 90. Sorry, the 2017 version, as well as Maleficent. Um, Burry Mattinson also was on this. They have a lot of writers on this. This He was also a writer on Aladdin, Pocahontas, and Beauty and the Beast. Um, Barry Johnson, Big Hero 6 animator, uh, Hercules animator, Mulan writer. Uh, Jesus, this is a long line of story. All right, I, I can't go through all these people. So there, there, there's a butt ton of people on here that I could go on all day about, and it seems that all of these people got a story credit on <laughs> on this uh, movie. Um, Chris Sanders, Tom Sitto, Joe Ranth. These are all Disney um, directing and producing writer superstars. So this movie stars Matthew Broderick as uh, Simba. Jeremy Irons as Scar, James Earl Jones as Mufasa, Whoopi Goldberg as Shinzi, and uh, Rowan Atkinson as Zazu, Nikita Kamala Harris as Young Nala, Jim Cummings as Ed, Robert Gulami as Rafiki, uh, Mariah Kelly as Nala, I guess old Nala, um, Nathan Lane as Timon, Zoe Letter as Safara. Sheech Marin as Ban- Banzia. <laughs> Ernie Sabella as Puma. Matt Maj Sinclair as Sarabi. And Jonathan Taylor as Young Simba. Um, I did want to mention all the way down to, to Jonathan Taylor Thomas because he is the voice of Young Simba for over what I would say is half the movie. I mean, the movie is not even an hour and a half, and I think he's the voice of young Simba for every bit of 40 minutes. So, um, yeah, really we get uh, a 50% uh, Simba in this, is what you say, before he he grows. Um, Let me see if I can talk about any of this before hopping into spoilers. I did want to just talk about, you know, some of the numbers, and we already talked about that, the box up opening and everything um i thought the cinematography was beautiful the music the colors some of disney's strongest attributes are being uh shown in this um in this movie i thought it still looks amazing i know that it got a oscar for uh best musical original score which i think the score is phenomenal it's by Hans zimmer and uh also the soundtrack was also composed by um Elton John and Tim Rice, um, and just the the combination of all of all of these uh, cylinders hitting on such high levels make it that much better of a movie. I will say I thought the writing in it was um, mostly timeless, and I thought that was pretty good, uh, pretty smart to do that so that they weren't referring to too many jokes that were um, just in that time. 
Um, other than that, um, the only thing I would have critiqued this movie on is some of the times that they have some really heavy moments is they'll kind of, they if they don't, if they had a little bit more time or if this wasn't a kid's movie, they would let the scene ride for another 30 seconds and you'd probably get a tear or two out of me. But because the movie is go, 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 and it has to be under an hour and a half or whatever that the kid's attention span is, um, that there's not really a lot of time for you to soak in some of the more uh, deeper aspects of the movie. And there's just a handful of scenes I can think off the top of my head that I'm like, I, I was having a really emotional moment and I didn't get to really soak in it and uh, feel the moment because it's undercut by another co- uh, comedic moment coming up right after that. So that would be the, the main problem, I would say, with The Lion King. And that's just because if you could just have a few extra seconds just to really marinate in that scene, then you, you would feel it a lot better. Which brings me to a point of saying how important editing is in uh, in multimedia. So if you have a joke that comes in right after something extremely important just happened and maybe somewhat uh, depressing, it, it it's definitely emotional whiplash. And so there definitely has to be some sort of palate cleanser in a way to get the audience ready for the next little bit of some sorts. Jeremy Irons and James Earl Jones as Mufasa probably are going to go down as some of the best voiceover um, acting that I can think of off the top of my head for a very long time. Um, James Earl Jones, I cannot hear anyone but but, but Darth Vader. <laughs> and so I'm... Uh, Every time I heard uh, Mufasa talk, I was I was just hearing you know uh, all of the the catchphrases you would say from Star Wars and you know the Force is strong with this one and I, I was just wait it, it felt very Star Warsian for some reason I don't know why but some of the uh, the way they tackle uh, religion in this movie also is somewhat Star Warsian if you wanted to compare the two. Um, I did like the way that they um, deal with, uh, I don't know, how they talk about death in this movie, which is, is relevant in this uh, for a kid's movie. Um, let me see who else. Uh, Rowan Atkinson was the other standout character. I think they kind of, uh, I don't want to talk about too much for him, but um, I thought he was Alan Tudyk when I was first listening to it, but it, it's kind of an Alan Tudyk type. Um, the hyenas, you definitely get a sense of the the bad guy layer. It's like one of the first times I can remember seeing, you know, having the head bad guy, which is Scar, and then having the three henchmen um, that always come with, like, every bad guy um, team up you ever see. It's normally, like... The lead guy and then two other bad guys. But this was like a bad guy and three three henchmen. Um, similar to like uh, what they have in like Harry Potter or something like that. It's like they, you know, the Draco Malfoy and uh, Crab and Goyle kind of effect. You know, they um, they have uh, the the smart one, the dumb one, and then the extra one or something like that. You know, so uh, 
it's using tropes and that we've seen in other movies and probably we've seen it before this 1994 movie. I just can't think off the top of my head. I'm, I mean, the karate kid, I'm sure had the bullies in it in the eighties, um, when he was fighting, you know, the, the bullies and stuff like that. But, um, this is one of the first times I can remember seeing in an animated movie where they had, you know, the, the, the team up like that, you know, the antagonist team up. Um, we get some, Excellent imagery in this movie and iconography. Um, the what is um sorry uh, Shinzi as uh, the monkey is one of the most iconic images and characters of. I don't know, like all cinematic history. Almost everyone knows what you're doing if you are holding a stuffed animal up like that or a pup or something or a cat. Everyone knows that you were doing The Lion King. Um, let me see. Let me see. Oh, is it Rafiki? Is that the name of the monkey? Because I, I didn't quite get the name of the monkey. Yeah, it's Rafiki. I don't know why I didn't know that. Um, let's see. Yeah, Robert uh, Gualmame did an excellent job with... Uh, oh, he just passed a couple years ago. Rest in peace. Um, did an excellent job with uh, Rafiki voice. Um, Timon and Pumbaa. These are some characters. Iconic. Iconic characters from uh, the Disney lockbox or the Disney vault, whatever you want to call it. But I had no idea that they were played by uh, Nathan Lane and Ernie Sabella. Uh, great pair up. It's absolutely much, much needed because I do think The Lion King, along with a couple of other uh, Disney movies, hit on some real tough, uh, tough um, story notes is what I would say. Um, you desperately need these guys, Nathan Lane and um, Ernie Sabella, to come in as Timon and Pumbaa to really lighten up and uh, liven the, the, the cast and the characters. Um, the way they're introduced is... is it, it's... Mm, it makes sense, but... Um, it does kind of feel like they're sort of, you know, the quirky characters. Our our main character has to go along to meet on, you know, to meet our his ultimate goal. Very much in the realm of like, they're not quite the genie from Aladdin, but they're definitely there to help our main character get to wherever they need to go or complete their goal or destination, get to their destination. Um and it, it it's some of their best uh side side characters uh along with uh like so, someone like the genie like i said earlier um let's see who else we have anything else one thing i was surprised about these two uh directors Roger Allers and Rob Minkoff is that they went on to i think Roger Allers went on to direct 
Let me see what this guy went on to direct. From The Lion King, he went on to direct Open Seas in 2006. Well, I was like, what the fuck? Open Seas in 2006? This is insane. And it's because they don't have any uh, of the same writers as The Lion King on it. But I, I was just blown away that uh, you would go from The Lion King to Open Season. Um, and then he hasn't directed anything since. He had a, a, a movie called The Prophet in 2014, and it looks like it's done okay uh, with uh, Liam Nelson. Um, sorry, Liam Neeson as uh, one of the main characters. But yeah, I was just like, what the... What the heck? Why did you go from one of the best movies of all time to directing almost nothing? And from a writing perspective, the uh, Roger Allers, um, he the only thing he was writing on was Oliver and Company in 1988 and Aladdin 92. Um so like he has he doesn't have terribly that many. I wonder if he just got rich off of the Lion King and said fuck it cuz he doesn't really have to work after that anymore. Um let's see. And then the other director Rob Minkoff, I I did want to talk about him just for a quick second. Um he only had a couple shorts coming up to uh The Lion King. He he did not direct a full. This was his first feature, both of their first features. And then they went on to uh direct cartoons the best of roger rabbit and then they went on he this specific director rob minkoff went and directed Stuart little 1999 and i think uh Stuart little 92 as well um sorry uh Stuart little two as well um and m night Shyamalan was on the screenplay of Stuart little what the fuck i'm learning something new every day i guess um yeah, so, uh, let me see. Yeah, and Stuart Little, too, was also directed by Rob Minkoff, and then Rob Minkoff went to direct The Haunted King, The Haunted, Haunted King, The Haunted Mansion in 2003, which I kind of remember liking, and The Forbidden Kingdom, 2008, along with some television after that, one, one or two episodes of television, and then a movie called Flypaper. Um... Yeah, what the buck happened to these guys? It's like these two directors direct one of the best movies, animated movies of all time, top grossing movies, some of the best cinematography and uh, best one of the best scores you've ever heard. But like to go on and do almost nothing, or to go on and make a a mo- movies that make almost nothing after is got to be slightly disappointing. I mean, going from The Lion King to Stuart Little 2 or something like that, you know, and the and, and the budget for Stuart Little 2 was uh, triple, almost triple what uh, The Lion King was. So it's just like, it really doesn't matter. It, it doesn't seem to matter about how much money you put into a movie. It doesn't seem to be how much uh, gusto is behind it because you can have the best actors in the world but if you don't have a great story if you don't have a good writer if you don't have a good director if all these things aren't firing on all cylinders something can go wrong and the fact that almost any movie is good these days is is kind of a uh, a miracle in a way but um in a lot of luck 
but I, I don't want to, you know, disparage all of the hard work that went into this movie. And, uh, yeah, I, I really liked the Lion King 1994. I don't remember watching it, uh, shot for shot when I was a kid, but there were some, um, flashes of, uh, you know, scenery and iconography that I obviously remember as a kid and I've seen in other places as well. Um, I wanted to watch The Lion King 94 because the new Lion King was coming out. And a lot of people are are bagging on this new um, Lion King. This new Lion King is going to have Donald Glover and Beyonce as the, the leads, which I do have a question about that if if he's going to be both the young Simba and old Simba. But if it's anything like the Aladdin remake, uh, the Aladdin cartoon in 2019, sorry, it's not a cartoon, the Aladdin 2019 live-action version is almost shot for shot the same as the 92 Aladdin. And the problem with that, I've already talked about the, the... the transition and in using cartoons as a storyboard is it's extremely difficult because the cartoons can bend and maneuver in ways that real life, real action, live action cannot. Um, so that's the that's the main problem. Um, the example I used in Aladdin was, you know, Aladdin picking up an apple with his foot. It's almost impossible. I can't, without picking up the stem, I guess, it's close to impossible to pick up an apple with just one foot um, without, you know, grabbing your the, the, the stem with your toes or something like that. So I believe in the Aladdin 92, that's what he does, and he flings the apple over his head, which is not possible for, you know, a real-life human to do and to make it look natural. Um, same thing with the Lion King. I'm, I'm anxious to see there's, there are scenes in this movie, um, that are, I'm not, I'm not gonna say psychedelic, but they do kind of go a little bit more in the wacky territory with the, uh, the animation, you know, the colors, there's, there's points where there's music, musical, uh, interludes with the, uh, animals stacking on top of each other like i i guarantee you we're not going to see a hippo on top of a uh, a giraffe on top of a hippo on top of a, a a zebra a zebra on top of a ostrich it's it's just not logistically possible and that's something that is in cartoon animation form so um yeah that's kind of the breakdown i wanted to do with the lion king I will say, Can You Feel the Love Tonight is probably the strongest song within the um, in Circle of Life, obviously, is too. Two of the strongest. Uh, I was, I don't think I like the music in uh, the, the composed music, the, like the, the non-score stuff, as much as I did in Aladdin. I think the Aladdin stuff had... Uh, a different feel to it, and I felt like I was listening too much to a kids kids sing in uh in the Lion King, and I I, I guess it's more or less while he's a kid. So um yeah, that that was kind of my opinion. It's not bad or anything. I don't want to say it's bad. I just preferred the Aladdin score over um, the Lion King score. I think just a tad bit, with the exception of the Hans Zimmer stuff. 
Um, sorry, and I, I keep saying score. I, I'm talking about the soundtrack, not the score. Um, yeah, I'm anxious to see what they do in the uh, 2019 version of The Lion King. It's um, 20 years, over 20 years since the first one. And it it will be twenty years since the second one, this, the the Lion King. I think it's Simba's Pride that came out uh, in nineteen ninety nine. Sorry, ninety eight. So it's been over uh, it's twenty one years, and I didn't realize they did a, a a Lion King three. I know that they had done like the Lion King one and a half and all these other bullshits and stuff. Um, yeah, and they seem to have got a lot of them back. So they've they've done the Lion King uh, one, two, and three, and one and a half, and two and a half, and whatever the fuck. <laughs> um, I don't really plan on revisiting those because I don't think anyone really takes those as canon. I'm not really sure if they're actually directed by the same. I don't think they're directed by the same people, and they are not, and they are not written by the same people either. Um, so yeah, um, let's hop into spoilers for the Lion King. 1994. We're in the spoiler section for The Lion King. Can you feel the spoiler section tonight? There's a reason. I'm a podcaster and not an artist. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so um, we are in the spoiler section for The Lion King. Um... So going into this, I remember the big death coming. It was uh, the Mufasa death coming from the uh, hyena. I think it was Stampede of Hyenas or something like that. Stampede of Wildebeest. Um, one, I thought we lost his father way earlier in the movie. I mean, we, we're, we're with young Simba for easily 45 minutes of the movie before he, he he's exiled and then runs into Timon and Pumbaa. And it's like a five-minute growing montage. Um, but I remember the wildebeest scene. I think a lot of people do. And it's it's pretty traumatizing if you're a kid. I definitely could see how you would be upset. And I was, personally, I was a little torn up uh, just watching it from the standpoint of um, I had just lost someone in my family recently. So I really felt some of the uh, the weight when it was discussing um, life and death and reincarnation and when um, Mufasa and Simba are, you know, discussing the stars and the, the kings looking down on on you. And uh, it it is quite moving, honestly. If, if you're just a kid, you're only getting about, you know, a third of what you're seeing. You're only seeing, okay, his father's a ghost, but it really... It doesn't feel as moving if you're not a, a uh, an adult to really understand um, the passing on of uh, life, and it's uh, there. That was one of the scenes I wish they had left um, the camera just sitting on for maybe thirty seconds, and that was with his, uh, Simba on top of his father looking at the stars. Um, it's kind of a very dramatic moment. It's one of the moments right before uh, we're going to lose uh, Mufasa in the next scene. Um, but yeah, I uh, that was one of my favorite scenes. Scar is an excellent uh, antagonist, although I don't 
I know that he wants to be king, but I don't really understand why he's exiled in a way. And something, I maybe I have to go back and rewatch or I'll understand it in the two thousand nine version. But it just seems that he has pure jealousy of, um, of his brother and his nephew, and uh, I can definitely see how that's a, a, a biblical statement in the Bible. I I don't think that's like the pharaoh or something like that something about egypt i bet i'm just gonna just go off a limb i don't know my biblical history nearly as well as i know my uh movie history i guess um but yeah so um nala's good i don't think she has tons to do in this movie um i wonder if they're gonna give nala a little bit bigger of a role in the 2009 version as of right now i have not seen it let me see anything else that we need to cover um uh, I, I, like I said, from the first shot, it, it reminded me of, uh, 2001, a space odyssey, just with how vibrant it was. It was just beautiful. Um, let me see anything else that we need to discuss. Like I said, Timon and Pumbaa come in right at the opportune moment that you need that pickup, uh, right after the death of Mufasa. And, uh, you really do need this kind of fast talk and sly, almost New York styled, uh, uh, rat and warthog to come lift you up because, um, like I said, they, they touch on some really dramatic beats in this movie and, uh, you know, death being among one of them. Um, but I, there is just little specks of detail in this movie that I like, even when it comes down to the writing, such as even before uh, Mufasa uh, passes away, he's describing the balance of nature and that we don't just hunt to hunt. You know, we hunt because we need to eat and they're not, you know, not just killing for sport. And, you know, you need to respect all life, no matter if it's the size of an elephant or if it's, just, you know, uh, as little as uh, an ant. And so, um, I, I, I do like the, uh, the messages that are being pushed through this movie kind of flipping, flop, flipping and flopping back and forth, um, all over the timeline right now discussing it. But I mean, it, it's a fairly easy plot it, to, to, you know, the exile of young Simba, uh, young Simba, he goes to grow up to be older and, um, confront scar at the very end scar ends up getting eaten by the hyenas um that's fucking crazy as hell um yeah you, you just don't trust scar he just <laughs> i don't know it's they definitely go with the cliche scar uh scar over the eye uh bad guy it's almost like a 007 i swear they have all the bad guys and James Bond have to have uh, some sort of English or uh, British accent, and they gotta uh, have a scar or something wrong with them. So uh, they're just going along with that. I think that we've kind of run our course on The Lion King 1994. I think we've got a pretty good summary of what I thought about it. You know, a majority of it hit really well. I, you know, if it could just a lot, keep a couple of the scenes, just keep them on uh, our subjects and not cut to the next thing or transition to the next thing, um, then it would work just a tad bit better for me. Um, I love the editing in this. I thought it was uh, seamless in a way. Most of it is just crossfading into the next scene, but you know the directions and the colors and everything they do are are important as well. 
um, and they pop. Thank you for listening to the Lucky Dog Podcast. Check us out at the Lucky Dog Podcast at gmail.com. Check out the show notes for anything, comments, questions, corrections. Um, if you want to follow us on Instagram, Twitch, social medias, um, all that is uh, in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Lucky Dog Podcast. We could not do this without you. It uh, it's been a journey, and uh, thank you for thank you for listening. Take it easy. This summer, Walt Disney Pictures presents an entertainment event you'll never forget.